welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Man, good to be back, you guys. Good to be back. Uh, so, um, church jargon is fun. And one uh, particular phrase that we use in the church that I think is really sort of hilarious and fun is the phrase, man, God really showed up. Have you ever said that? Like, have you ever experienced that in, after an incredible worship time? Man, God showed up, right? Or, you know, whatever it is. And I think that's beautiful because it expresses what we think. God was there. But I also want to invite us into a different way of looking at that, right? Because what are we saying when we say, God showed up? That's audience participation. That's not a rhetorical question. Right, right. Like, I mean, woo, God was sleeping normally. But man, we did it so well that God said, man, those guys down in Lilydale, okay, I'm going there this morning, right? I'm not going to Grace. I'm not going to Open Door. I'm not going to, you know, Hosanna. I'm going to awaken because they're lighting it up. I'm going to leave where I am and go down there. And I'm not trying to pick on us, but I am, like, terminology creates theology. You guys know that, right? So what we say really does create what we believe. And so what I want to invite us into in the next three hours or so, um, <laughs> really I could talk about, I, I, I promise I will not, uh, is that God is always at work. God is always working to restore our lives, to restore the world. That is what God has always been doing. That is what Jesus came to do. That is what the Holy Spirit is still doing. And every corner of planet Earth that we find ourselves in, that is true. And so, really, the question is, are we showing up? Amen? Right, so that's the question. So what does it mean to recognize and respond to the activity of God's work in the world? That's what I want to ask us to to chew on this morning. What does it mean to recognize and respond to God's activity in the world and in my life? And so there's this great story in the book of Acts, chapter 8. And so just in 30 seconds, the the, the arc of Acts is Jesus, you know, comes back. He tells his followers to wait. He pours out the Holy Spirit on them. He goes back up to heaven. They do some crazy work in, in Jerusalem. Lots and lots of people come to believe in Jesus as the Lord instead of Caesar, which is a huge, huge deal because Jesus had died, right? And they're proclaiming him as Lord because he rose again. The apostles started to do crazy miracles. People were healed. And then persecution started. It, it broke out. And then they were scattered from Jerusalem into all areas of the world. And that was supposed to be the splintering of the church, but it actually was the beginning of the church. Because when they were scattered, uh, they went to the places that God was already at work. Amen? Right? God was already doing work in Samaria and all over uh, the world. So when they scattered, um, what, was, what, what was meant to be the end of the church was really the beginning. And so that's beautiful. One of the people was Philip. Philip was at the epicenter of Jerusalem and of the life of the church. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 8. So if you have an iPhone or a droid or... If you want to read it up on the screens, we're going to start in verse 26 uh, of Acts 8. 
And this story uh, involves Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch. So it's very fun. Uh, Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, as the angels usually do, "Uh, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, period, end of story. So he prayed about it. No. So he talked to some friends about it. No. So he, that is Philip, started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, of course, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone down to Jerusalem to worship, which is interesting, as we will get to later, because he was a eunuch and would not have been able to be invited into the temple because he was both not from Jerusalem and not Jewish and a eunuch. But he went anyway. So on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, like you do. Uh, the, The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip literally ran up to the chariot as it was still moving and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So this conversation is happening as Philip is jogging by the chariot, which I find hilarious. Um, Apparently you don't. (laughs) This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself, Isaiah, or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And Philip said, well, in the fact that you're not Jewish and you're a eunuch, um, I guess nothing. So he gave orders to stop the chariot. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water where Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch didn't see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel and all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So <laughs> that story is bizarre. But it's also beautiful because Philip uh, was, again, at the epicenter of what was happening in the church. And then <laughs> the angel tells him, go south out of this city on the desert slash deserted road, period. So what do you do when God tells you to go but God doesn't tell you where to go. I wait, usually, until God tells me where to go, right? I mean, because why would you go? But in fact, God did tell Philip where to go. Go to the road and just start walking south. And it reminds me of Abram in Genesis 12, right? When God says, Abram, leave your country, leave your kindred, leave your native land, and go to a place I will show you, right? And so when, when we get messages from God, we want details. At least I want details, right? And I usually don't go until I get details. And then when we get details, then we say, I have peace, don't we? Ah, oh, I can go because now I have peace. But when I read the stories of scriptures, people are typically not given the details and they still go anyway. And so this eunuch that Philip runs into on the way, this Ethiopian, he's a treasurer. He's very wealthy, but he's very spiritually hungry. That's why he makes the pilgrimage from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem. 
and he's religiously outcast. In fact, he's a double outcast. He's not Jewish, and he's castrated. So that would mean that he is absolutely not allowed into the temple. And yet he, and he would have known that. He was an educated person. But he makes the trek anyway. What does that say about him? You, you, can, you can say it loud. He's desperate. He's hungry. He knows he's not going to get lit into the temple. But maybe, maybe God whispered to him, hey, go north <laughs> to Jerusalem. I want to meet you there. And then maybe he went, and of course he did go, and then he came back disappointed. And he was reading Isaiah, and it's so interesting. These are some of the verses that he would have read in Isaiah. Isaiah 56, 8. This is not going to be up on the screens. The Lord and King will gather those who were taken away from their homes in Jerusalem. He announces, I will gather them to myself, and I will gather others to join them. And the eunuch may have seen himself. I am an outcast person. I am someone who's been taken away from my home. I've been outcast. And then in Isaiah 56, 3 through 5, we read this, that the, that the eunuch would have read as well. Suppose an outsider wants to follow the Lord. Well, he shouldn't say, the Lord won't accept me as one of his people. That's the message that he would have gotten at the temple. <clears throat> and a eunuch shouldn't say, I'm like a dry tree that doesn't bear any fruit. The Lord says, suppose some eunuchs keep my Sabbath days. They choose to do what pleases me, and they are faithful in keeping my covenant. Then I will set up a monument in the area of my temple. Their names will be written on it. That will be better for them than having sons and daughters. The names of the eunuchs will be remembered forever. They will never be forgotten. And maybe that's why the eunuch went to Jerusalem to see if that monument had been made yet and if his name was on it. But he comes back disappointed. And he's traveling south back down to Ethiopia. And he's on a road. And he's purchased a scroll because, you know, you didn't, he didn't have an iPhone. He couldn't look it up. Scrolls would have been very expensive, so he purchased the scroll of Isaiah. And he's rattling down the road, this deserted road. And then he sees a man, a young man, running up alongside him. And the young man asks him, Sir, what are you reading? What does it mean when God cares so much about outcast people, that God sends people out on deserted roads just in case an outcast person shows up. What does that say about the work that God's doing in the world? So Philip runs toward the chariot, and I love this because it reflects God's heart. And Philip explains to the eunuch the meaning of this passage, that Jesus was a lamb that was led away to be slaughtered, that Jesus invites him to be a part of his family. And then when they get to the water, you know, the eunuch says, maybe, may, maybe I can join this family by being baptized. And, and Philip, when, when he says yes, he's breaking every rule in the church. It's so incredible. He's just totally rewriting the rules right then and there. What should stop me from being baptized? Nothing, Philip says. God wants you in his family. And then after he gets baptized and raised up out of the water, he goes from death to life. Philip gets spirited away. He puts his hand on a port key or something, and he, he goes back to Azotus. We don't know how that, that, that works, but it did. And we just read that the Ethiopian is overjoyed. 
So what does it mean to recognize and respond to God's activity in your life and in the world? What does it mean to believe that God is always at work restoring all things and all people and that God is inviting you to join God in that work? God is inviting you to join God in that work. Uh, so as Micah said, my wife and I are planting a church. We're going to be uh, starting a church in the western inner ring suburbs, Golden Valley, Crystal, Robbinsdale, St. Louis Park, somewhere around there, praying for a beautiful you know, spot like this or, or totally different, um, whatever God brings us. But Mary has this picture, and she says, you know, every once in a while when I'm driving into downtown Minneapolis and I see some of those big apartment buildings with all those windows, she goes, I, I, I look at one of the windows, just one of them, and there's hundreds, you know, and each one of those windows represents a family or a person. I mean, each one of them. Each one of them represents a story that I don't know, represents pain, uh, the need for restoration that I don't know about. And she goes, and then I, I look back and I see there's hundreds of windows, and I look around the world and there's millions and hundreds of millions, billions of stories. And so the question is, Mary says, my wife, in all of her brilliance, why in the world does the world need more churches, right? I mean, isn't there, and there's a church on every corner, it seems like. So she goes, well, until every single one of those people, represented by every single one of those windows, is restored into wholeness, then there's not enough churches. Until every single square inch of the planet is redeemed into what God wanted it to be, then no, there is not enough churches and there's not enough people running toward the chariot. So what does it mean for you in your life to wake up to what God is doing in the grocery store that you shop in, in the school that you dropped your kids off at, in the college that you attend, in the cube that you spend 40 miserable hours a week in, in the parking lot that you pull into on Wednesday nights, on Thursday nights, on Friday nights, and Saturday nights here in this room. What does it mean to recognize what God is doing in those places and then begin to recognize the voice of God in your heart and in your ears that tells you maybe to go down that deserted road, period, and then I will show you what to do next. So um, for seven years, I worked at Church of the Open Door. I think Maple Grove is that way, but it might be that way or that way or that way. I don't even, I don't know my directions in here. Maple Grove is a northwestern suburb. Uh, uh, open Door is located in it, and um, I had worked there for seven years, and I was um, the, the, the talks were that I would maybe be the next senior pastor there. Our senior pastor, Dave Johnson, greatest guy on the planet, love him. And um, at some point, you know, he's been there for 34 years. So at some point, he will stop working. That point might be 20 years from now because um, he's fired up and ready to go. But, at, but, at, but for a long time, we were talking about me being the next person until um, God began to work in my heart and in my soul. And that culminated on this run that I was I was on October 28th last year, um, and there's a real long story to this, but on this run, um, I got a question like Philip got, and the question was, w would you be willing to let go of your plans for succession in order to grab on to something else? And 
it scared me to death, but it also, something in my heart woke up in that moment, and I had a yes in my heart, uh, and I didn't know what it was, but I went home and wrote the word Genesis down on this little post-it note, a community working for new beginnings in the world. So that's been on my desk for the last nine months, reminding me of a call in my life, a call on my life, so that some of the people behind some of those windows that don't know that God is working to make their life new might be able to know. So Mary and I began to talk to people about, hey, you know, maybe you don't go to church or, you know, and, and we begin to form a team of people dedicated. So here's our little vision statement. We're joining God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. So we're surrounding a group of people around us saying, would you be willing to learn to recognize and respond to God's voice in your life so that new beginnings can happen in all of us everywhere, behind every window in the world? And so we're dreaming about ways to do that. And it's a really, really exciting and scary journey. And Micah and Laura have been with us all along the way. They were with us in our living room when we kind of said, should we do this? We shouldn't do this. In fact, I think we asked them, uh, please uh, try to convince us not to do this. Uh, we have heard church planning is the worst thing in the world, the hardest thing on a family, the hardest thing you'll ever do. You know, the worst. I mean, everyone talks about church planning like it's the worst. When I began to tell people I, I, I was doing that, I'll, I'll never forget one person come, coming up to me and just going, like with this look on their face, Why? Why would you leave an established, safe, comfortable thing to do that? I did that once, she said, and it almost killed me. And I'm like, well, don't come with me then, please. Um, I don't need your energy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and actually, I, I told Micah, and he texted me back a very hilarious um, message back to me. So... Um, what does it mean to recognize God's voice in your life, and what does it mean to respond to it? Well, um, three things, three thoughts, three recommendations, three ideas for you. Number one, know what you do. Okay? So Philip, what he did is he knew how to preach the gospel to people who didn't know God. That's what he did. He knew how to do that. That's how God gifted him. I don't think God gifted Philip to do everything. I don't think God gifted Philip, you know, to, to, to be good at a million things. I think God gifted Philip to be good at a few things. And God has gifted me to create environments for people to understand God in a new way. Through my writing, I do that. Through my speaking, I do that. And through my relating, I do that. I know that's what God's gifted me to do. So that's, what part, that's part of what helped me, uh, even despite all those people that were telling me not to do it, because it's the worst thing you'll ever do. Uh, you know, God has wired me up to create environments where people can understand God that don't know God. I just know that that's how I'm wired up. So that didn't automatically mean I was supposed to plant the church, but, but when it came down to it, that, that started to make me go, you know, maybe God is in this. And so you, you 
are gifted by God to do something beautiful in the world, to help give birth to something beautiful in the world. And I think the best way to find out what it is is to get a few people around you that really know you. Like if you're in a life group or if you're in a missional community, uh, wouldn't it be great as a community to gather around this question? Let's look into each other's hearts and let's help reflect back to each other what we see in each other. You're really good at art. That's what you're good at. Don't waste your time on spreadsheets. Please, if you're good at art, don't. Some of you are good at kids. Some of you are good at writing. Some of you are are good at behind-the-scenes stuff. Some of you are good at gardening, and you think, how can gardening possibly be a place that brings beauty and life to the world? And I want to tell you that it can. Some of you are good at brewing beer, and you need to brew that beer, and then invite people over to enjoy that beer, and enjoy God's gift of friendship and community, and that is a gift. What are you wired up to do? I think if you want to learn to recognize and respond to God's call in the world and on your life, you need to know what it is you do, what it is that God's wired you up to do. And the best way to know that is to get people around you who know you and love you to speak into your life honestly about what they see in you. So if you're serious about this, I would invite you to take that bold step of asking a few people to tell you what it is that you do. Because you probably don't know. And what you really do Here's the secret. You probably love doing. You would do it for free. No one needs to tell you to do it, but you don't think it counts. So you don't do it for God. You don't think it counts. You think it's small. You think it's ubiquitous. You think it's apart from God's work in the world. But what God has wired you up to do, when you know it is, it's you, you, you probably go like this. Really? Like that's what, I mean, it's what you want to do. So secondly, assume is God inviting you into a restoration project at all times. Assume, is God invi- assume that God is inviting you into a restoration project at all times. Uh, last weekend, my wife and I were watching TV. We were traveling, we were in this hotel room, and we were watching this, uh, this woman that does these restoration projects on homes, right? You watch these shows, right? They're, Ooh, or you? Was that great? Is that a yes or like ooh? <laughs> like, like the Jimmy Fallon, like ooh. Um, yes, I love that, right? Because in the span of a half an hour, you can see this horrible mess turn into something beautiful. And this woman that we were watching spends like seventeen dollars for the whole house. I mean, a little bit more than that. But she works all these reconditioned things, and she finds wood, at, you know, in her garage and in these places, and it's beautiful. The end is beautiful. But what was great is she invites people, volunteers from the neighborhood. And this house that she was working on actually was in Minneapolis. It was so fun. She invites volunteers from the neighborhood to come and paint and, 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 and do the work. And that's the picture of what God is doing. God is this woman that is inviting you into making this house new. God has the resources. God just wants to give you the right tool to put in your hands so that you can be a part of it, so that something beautiful can happen in the world. That is happening in your house and in your neighborhood and in your school and in your workplace. You just need to put your antenna up so that you can see what God is doing. Right? So there's this person at your workplace that is miserable. You know that person, right? And God is doing a work in her life, 
in his life, and you can join God in that. Third thing is this, um, you know, because it can get pretty overwhelming to join God's work of restoration in the world. What is that? Like, so Mike and I talk, and we're thinking, oh, man, I mean, what, what is that for our communities? And, but really, the invitation for Philip and for the eunuch and for you is simply this. Just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. You don't know the whole picture. I love that the angel didn't give Philip the whole picture. Now, you're going to go south, west, down this road, and then when you, get, when you get a little ways down the road, you're going to be thirsty, and you're going to be wishing you had worn your other shoes. At that moment, a chariot, you're going to hear a chariot coming by. And there's going to be an Ethiopian in that chariot. He's going to be reading Isaiah. So I want you to study up on Isaiah. And then I want you to run alongside. I mean, you know, no, I mean, that's too much information. You'd get scared to death if you knew the whole plan. Amen. Right, I mean, when you can look back in the rearview mirror on things that God did invite you to do and all the craziness that was along the way, you would never have said yes if you knew it all. So God just gives you the next invitation. So do the next right thing, and it's usually a small thing. Go south on the road. Say hi to that cantankerous person that you work with or that you're married to. <laughs> sometimes that's true the next right thing sometimes is taking a nap because you're totally totally fried so if you want to learn to recognize and respond to God's voice in your life and God's activity in the world really learn to define what it is that you do learn to assume that God is always inviting you into a restoration project and learn to just do the next right thing. And you will find yourself in the middle of a scary, beautiful work that God is bringing to birth in the world through you. And there is nothing, nothing better than that. Might be hard, <laughs> might be challenging, might take everything that you have, but God promises to bring you exactly what you need exactly when you need it so that the work of God will be done in the world because it's God's work, not yours. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.